word cancel. <laughs> right. Howdy, everybody. I'm Robert. And I'm Ira. And I'm Christina. And this is Antiwave, yep. a film pod- film podcast. Yep. A film podcast. It's a film podcast. <laughs> All about saying fuck Are you we- to the Hollywood system. Not really, though. No. Sort of. And this podcast has over 100 years of experience in the entertainment industry. Yeah. And with us is a very special guest, Terrell Gibson. Hey, Terrell. How you doing? Yeah. Hey, guys. You know, we have 100 years of experience in the entertainment industry, but you alone, my man, you've got quite a few years yourself. How long have you been involved in the industry? I think I'm going on year 20 now. 20. I started in this business in 1996. Seven. Summer of 1997. And you it. are editor of a very special film that we're going to be talking about today called... Sorry to Bother You. Sorry to Bother You. And our top five this week is going to be top five what, Ira? I'm ready for it this time. Go for it. I'm actually ready. The top five, and it's a good one, top five favorite movies with evil corporate masterminds. Ah, uh, the evil corporate mastermind. Mm, I don't All see right. how that ties into this movie. Yeah. No? You don't see that? <laughs> yeah, I don't very, see the connection very, whatsoever. Very tangential. Uh, that's, that's weird. Maybe we should go back and talk about that. Hey, guys, I have a question for you. I was thinking about it because this film deals with, uh, with corporate masterminds. It deals with bad days at work and I was wondering what's your worst day on a job like what's the worst job you've ever had what about you Christina um okay I I have to say that I did work briefly as a telemarketer but that was not my worst job oh no my worst job was something I am probably the worst typist in the world and my (laughs) worst job was I was sent out by a temp agency to type up something I don't even remember but there were like five volumes that Mm. had to be typed up I got through like a tiny bit of the first one and then I just called the agency and said this isn't gonna happen <laughs> how, how long did it wait did you wait before I, you called I, I d- tried the whole morning and I was like this isn't gonna happen and I just was falling farther and farther behind and I'm just so bad at typing and I hate it so much and I was like so miserable and I felt like such a failure that so was my worst did they have the like a schedule for you of like oh how- yeah oh, oh yeah wow. I was supposed to get through like all of them that day or in three days and it was just like I was like on page four it was like so hopeless that would have been great if you just kind of waited a few days and you're like, yeah, yeah see, I didn't get around I, I needed that. employment. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a story for you. I worked as a, um, as a, when I started working as a production assistant early on in my career, I remember one time I was working this job and it was, uh, I, I was starting to become, finding my rhythm of being a PA and I was getting a little <coughs> bit more responsibility and there was, there was a shoot we were doing up in Malibu and I got asked to go pick up the client. It was a commercial shoot. And it was a big, important job. You got to pick up the client to show yeah, up to the that's to huge. The, but, but the person who picked up the client got to sleep in a little bit later because the rest of the crew had to be in Malibu at like 6 a.m. Mm. setting up everything. And I didn't have to pick the client up until 8. So I got a little bit of extra sleep. And they gave me the address. And they said the address was, uh, I don't know, like 127 Wilshire Boulevard. And I go, cool. I know right where that is. Right downtown. No problem. You know, 127 Wilshire Boulevard. Got it. Hop in the car the next morning and drive over to 127 Wilshire Boulevard. I'm going, where the fuck is this hotel that they're staying at? And I start to realize they meant 127 Santa Monica. For, for those of you that aren't listening, that, that are listening to this that aren't from Los Angeles, Wilshire Boulevard runs the entire length of Los Angeles. And it actually, the, the address is reset on the other end of Wilshire Boulevard. Oh, dear. And I needed to get all the way across town at 8 o'clock in the morning. It was raining out. There was all this traffic. Oh, dear. And the client is waiting on me. That's, I have about five minutes to get there. That's bad. And now, Robert, a, I know how you drive. I've oh, seen you drive. Did you make it? I did not make it on time. <laughs> it's not but possible. I, I like the fact that you asked that question. Not even by helicopter. I'm sweating. I'm, just, I'm, I'm in cold sweats. Oh. And I'm, I'm just I'm stuck in this traffic. They won't fucking go. And I'm trying as hard as I can. I get there at 8.27, which I think 
given the circumstances, was a really miracle good. that I got there that fast. Uh, and it was uh, just jam-packed uh, traffic. I, I pick them up, and they're furious. You know, they're, they've been calling my boss. They've been calling me and everything else. And uh, they get in the van. I apologize. I knew this was going to be bad news, so I apologized once, and they just got in. I was like, I know. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so fucked right now. And they hop in the back of the van. We drive up to Malibu, and, uh, and they fire me. Oh, and I was like, yeah. ouch. Yep. That was it. That was a really bad day. <laughs> that is a what bad an day. ending to the story. I have yeah. a story similar to that. Do you? Yeah. Let's a hear a story, but with a happier ending, Uh-oh. slightly happier. Um, it was actually my first movie that I ever worked on. It was called Beloved. It's Jonathan Demi movie. Um, it was filmed in 1997. And um, I worked as a film runner, basically, going oh. back and forth between where they were shooting in Philadelphia and the um, edit suite, which was in New York. And basically my job every day was to take the film that we had sunk that day, bring it down to set, watch dailies, and then bring back the exposed negative, the sound, drop that off to the lab, and then do it all over the next day. So each particular day, you know, some days we drove, some days I took the train, you know, it varied from day to day. Whatever the fastest way possible to get there, that's what I did. So the train that you take from New York to Philadelphia is a train that basically makes two stops between mm-hmm. New York and Washington, D.C. The first stop is Philadelphia. The second stop is Washington, D.C., and that's it. It just goes. Oh, right? no, I already stays, know this is going. And it stays on the platform for about a minute and a half, maybe, you know, with commuters filing on. And I am, this is the film day, so I have a hand truck that is loaded to the gills with film that we're, I'm bringing down from New York. And it's about... I don't know. This thing probably weighs about 150 pounds. Uh-huh. It's impossible to manage when you've got a bunch of commuters getting on the train, blocking your route. Oh, no. And this was also in the days where I had, you know, a cell phone that looked like the cell phone from Miami Vice. Right, so, the big brick you know, phones. Yeah, the yeah. big brick phone. And I have, you know, extra batteries and all that. Kind I feel of like thing. you only get drug calls on those phones, right? Yeah. For, for yeah. crack the cocaine. Classic, yeah, yeah, 80s drug dealer phone. But anyway, so as I'm unloading the film, get it a batch of it onto the um, onto the platform and then I have to go back for the rest because there's no oh no at all. oh yeah. no that's right. this is even worse than I thought and then the um, the commuters are coming on nobody's getting out of the way I'm like <gasps> literally elbowing my way through clawing my way through this crowd oh no and as I almost get the last batch of film off the com- off the train um, the doors start to close I hear next stop Washington DC all aboard Oh, no. I, s- I look out the window. I see the film getting smaller and smaller and oh, smaller no. on the platform. No. And this is about, I don't know, about four weeks into the job or something like that. And I had <laughs> run this scenario through my head before. Like, what would I do if that happened? Oh, what God. would I do? And um, Was suicide an option? Did you, did you keep a little cyanide how, pill how, in your tooth? Just how, flip how it open, open and bite into it? Like, how open was the window? That's what I want to know. Well, the window wasn't open, but the emergency brake oh. was available. Oh. And I had eyed that thing many a time. Oh, awesome. Asia. And, and you know what? You're going to be my hero in a minute. Thing, uh, the only thing I could do was like, look, my career is on the brink right now. Right. This is, this is that moment. So I pulled it. Awesome. Good for you. It and it works. It. I have you to say it. that it... I apologize to Amtrak if yeah. you're listening. It actually No, works. don't apologize. It, sta- it, it stops the They screwed you dime. over. They started out... Uh, you weren't done offloading yet they okay. don't care there's like one conductor yes. working right. a train that's like three football fields long they yeah. didn't even see oh they know? crash all the time anyway exactly I right when favor. you but it works it, when you it works pulled it were you and was it seriously an aggressive pull or were you real anxious were you in doubt what were a great question. question thank you 
It was an out of body experience. It was, it, was, it was literally like a dream. It was like me seeing myself losing everything I had worked so oh, hard for. It's in, a slow in motion, one fell wasn't swoop it? Because slow it motion. You so you pull the you pull the handle and you get off, right? And then when you get off, you I the mean, have you left the platform? There, right? you still have have you left the, the platform? Yeah, 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 yeah. I left. I pulled the I pulled the handle. The doors open slowly. I got off with the rest of the film. Um, the conductor comes off the plane, off the train. He walks over to me and he says, "Do you realize what you did was a federal offense?" Oh, dang! And I said, "No, I did not realize that. I apologize profusely. I am so sorry. But if I hadn't gotten off this train, my career would be over." And he looked at me, a 21-year-old kid, yeah. with all of the blood rushing out of my face, clearly yeah. just like completely, completely freaked out. And he said, "Have a good day." Oh, that's nice. Oh. I love that in moments where people, they have the power to totally destroy your life mm-hmm. and they show mercy. And like, mm-hmm. you knew in that moment already what you had done was, was wrong. It was an emergency. It wasn't you just screwing around, messing with everybody's commute. But the conductor knew that. And it was like, all right, this isn't a troublemaker. This he guy's knew. like, yeah. He's like, this is just a kid that's just starting out. And like, yeah. You know, right. I'm not going to screw him oh. over. And. I'm just really happy to hear how that ended because we were told an apocryphal story when I was in film school about somebody who left the film in a taxi. Oh, and I, I when you started that it story, was I, was like, Stern, yeah. it I was, was like, Stern, I was like, please don't let you be the person who left the film in the no, taxi. So I'm really happy. Th- that was about three months before. <laughs> <laughs> I had heard that story. Trust me, right? every single Didn't day you? when I left oh the building. My gosh. Oh my gosh, that was just that, that just that went around. That yeah. was definitely. I was that like, and all of a sudden I was like, I'm not going to be that. I was like, am I meeting the legend? And then I'm like, I'm. I'm so glad I'm not. No, so no, good, no, no, good. No. Saved your job. No, that was you. Ira's job. Oh dear. <laughs> Ira, wait, what was your worst day on the job? Did you ever get fired or anything? I didn't. Get, now, I, I, um, the summer of 1967, the summer of love. Oh. Is this when you were? Also, is this when you were working in the in it, the, the dungeon as no, the dungeon master? Oh, no, I don't want that. Mr. Okay. Gibson. Okay. Uh, it was also it was also the uh, summer that I sold suits to adolescent boys. At the Broadway in Century that City, so wrong. There in Century City. Yeah, yeah. It was not for adults. It was for kids, and it was for suits. It was suits. And how and, old were these children? Uh, 16, 17, 18, oh, okay. 19, 20, But not adults. Teenagers. So there was a division for that teenagers, right? Yeah. And it was suits. And my best buddy Ian was selling women's shoes at the Broadway in Century City. And I didn't want to work. It was the summertime, and I told my folks I want to become a teacher. And they said, "We don't care. Do something. You're not going to sleep till ten o'clock for three months." So sure. I got a job part time uh, selling suits. You the, worked retail. Yeah, I did, wow. and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Oh, yeah. It was it was really a bad scene. And Pete, the parents, and the, I was with the tailor, and I, I held the white chalk, and they asked you held me, the uh, white. Chalk. I held that the, was no, I didn't, job. but I didn't mark here, it. Here, no, Ira, the tailor, just told this. the tailor marked it right. with pins and the chalk, but I held it for the tailor. I, I would not guess that you would have marked it. I, I, I know exactly. <laughs> you're standing in the corner holding. Turn around. Me. You're like the Spread cigar store Indian yeah. standing yeah. outside the whole the store holding chalk instead of a cigar. And what was so funny was the parents who were there with their kid getting the suit, they'd always ask me, what do you think? They'd ask me, do you think, does it look good? Does it look good? I don't know what, I, but yeah, that mm-hmm, yeah, looks fine. Looks Oi, good. what do you think of my son's <laughs> suit? Hi. What that did you say? That was my summer job. What yeah, you... I just nodded. I did the iron nod. I said, yeah, it looks sharp. looks good to me. Uh, anyway, that's my That's so job. great. Yeah. Did you get fired? Yeah. 
No, <laughs> no, right. no, no, but summer ended. Well, hey, let's talk about Sorry to Bother You. Oh, Shall we no, do that? Another Week in Review? No. You, you want to do Week in Review? Tell me what you want. Let's do Week in Review. What do you want? No, let's no, do no I feel review. like I'm pushing my own agenda. Yeah, you just want to talk about your films. It's well, cool. Well, just because you have none. <laughs> just because you have, have none. one. Okay, all right. Maybe all right. one and a half. Um, the Week in Review. <laughs> some, by the way, you're going to like this. I do, I do ditties. You're, okay. I do, listen to this. No, you're, you're not, not going like to like it. You're not going to like it. You'll like it. No. I'll come back after the duties. Some are old, <laughs> some are new. We now present The Week in Review. See? Pretty good, huh? Yeah, hey, I'm going to go first this week. Oh. I have a, uh, a movie that I really want to talk about. And Ira, I asked you to watch. I'm not sure if you did or not. Mm-hmm. But I saw a film, uh, a documentary, that I thought was really interesting. Uh, did you watch it, Ira? Sure I did. It's called Who Took Johnny? Yeah. And this is a documentary from about four years ago. And Christina, I'm, I'm very interested to, to know what you would think about this movie. I don't know if you could watch it. It's a documentary. It's I don't a, know. It's about a 12-year-old boy who was kidnapped in nope. 1982. Nope. And um, as soon as he went, he was like the, one of the first kids to have his face put on milk cartons. No. Mm. And mom basically dropped everything and became obsessed with what happened to him and, and became an advocate for child kidnapping. He was kidnapped out of Des Moines. And several years go by and it turns out that there was a, a guy that comes forward that says that he had helped kidnap this kid about five or six years earlier or something like that and sold him into a uh, a male prostitution ring and be like a child pedophile. Human trafficking. Right, human trafficking. And he said that he himself was a victim of it and okay. he helped kidnap other kids and there's this whole ring out of Omaha, Nebraska that was just kidnapping kids mainly out of Des Moines. And then it turns out later on that this mom had actually been visited later on by her son, maybe about 10, 15 years. He came by for like an hour and a half one night and talked to her for a little while, but basically couldn't stay and said, like, if I stay here, they'll kill me. They'll find me. They'll, they'll track me down and kill me. And then he, oh he goes back into his life right. and she never sees him again. It's oh fucking fascinating. Mm. And, um, and really, the mom makes this really astute observation in it. She says, you know, you never think of it this way, but... I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she says, you know, pedophilia is a is a class issue. And she says, because poor pedophiles have to kidnap their own victims. They have to risk everything. But rich pedophiles can hire someone else to do it for them, right. and they don't risk getting caught. Mm-hmm. And she was, like, making a point of, like, this is the powerful and wealthy people within our society that do these awful things. Oh, my gosh, it was fascinating. Mm. It sounds like a great documentary. Oh, it was riveting. I don't I, think I, I can watch oh, it. Oh, I don't think you could. No. Yeah. No. But did you watch it, Ira? I did, and thank you for turning me on to that. I got a text from Robert, like, at 1 in the morning, watch this, and so I, I did. And uh, with Who Took John Again, it's a 2014 documentary, and some people in error think that his was the face it was one of the first to be on a, a milk carton and it was, it was he, he was one of the first he wasn't the first that's, that's correct okay. yeah. Yeah. yeah I think people say he was the second or the third yeah. to be on a milk carton and that uh, when when the mother was saying that he came back as an adult but he had to be underground and change yeah. his name and identity and stuff it was it was compelling yeah. it was disturbing and it was a really well made documentary who took Johnny so yes I did see that thank you for turning me on to that another film I watched I don't like, know that you should say I turned you on oh, to that's that the that's wrong expression yeah. isn't it? thank you for suggesting up. i watch it mm. yeah and the other one uh, late last night i saw this movie before with jody foster it's called flight plan mm-hmm. and i remember this and i saw it and i wanted to see it again and i thought she jody foster is a damn good actress and she made the movie work 
I think that the last third was really convoluted and it was hard to buy into all these twists and yeah, turns. No. It, I should say that she's got a missing daughter. She boarded the plane with her daughter and the daughter's not on this jumbo jet. So the whole movie is, is she going insane? Did she really board the plane with her daughter? Maybe not. And it's very convoluted and twisted in the last third, but there's no, I don't think there's much credibility, but it's a really well-made movie. And it's just a lot of fun to watch. I don't know why, but terrific. I'm always compelled... Uh, to these movies that take place on a plane. The yes. entire movie is on a plane. Like uh, even Airplane and, and the, the comedies, but also like Red Eye and uh, oh, what was the one with the, uh, the the action movie with the guy? Uh, Snakes on a Plane. Seven. What's that? Passenger 57. No, but you're just there. Two great, <laughs> two great <laughs> action Snakes movies. Snakes on a Plane. No, <laughs> the one where, um, not Leslie Nielsen. What's his name? Uh, is it a comedy? No, it's, a, it's an action. Airplane? No, it's, <laughs> it's an action movie where he keeps getting Con texts Air. from someone on the plane. Who's oh. the big, tall guy played? Oh, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, um, thank you. Yeah, what was that one? I was trying called? to say Leslie Nielsen. But yeah. Liam Neeson, who's like, uh, producer Joey will find it, but he's getting text messages from whoever the, the person is on the plane that's going to blow it up. And he's like, he keeps getting messages the entire time and he has to figure out which passenger it is that's, yeah, that's like going to murder everyone. Oh, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 That sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Christina, what did you see this week? Um, the uh, I was I went into the theaters and saw Ant Man and the Wasp. Whoa! Yes. Wow! I'm in, was it really? Empty? Was the theater empty? Uh, it was not empty. <laughs> no, uh, no. I'm surprisingly striking. enough. No, it was. I, people seemed to be enjoying it. I, I I I thought it was you know not my favorite, but it was okay. Now, did you see the first one? I didn't, and I think that because of that, I was less into it than most of the rest hmm. of the theater. Why did you go see that movie? Because that yeah, that kind of surprises me. So you know, I I do see a fair amount of of popcorn films because I like to see like what people are watching, and I like a superhero film. So mm-hmm. I saw it, and I hadn't seen the first one. I was like, yeah, let's see it. Nice. Part All of their right. ad campaign. It's in one of the reviews. Is that the ending will just blow you away? That there's a huge aha moment at the very end. Has any have any of you seen it? No. no, no, but no. I had my kids spoil it for me. Cause... Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it ties into it ties into the Marvel saga of Infinity War. So there is a um, there is a sort of a twist at the end. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I won't I won't spoil it. So I'll just should say, we have seen Infinity Wars before this um, movie? I didn't, um, but I'm probably like all my students have because they've been li- like this is their Star Wars. They've been right. living with this for like 11 years or 13 years. They've seen all the like 13 films in 11 years. So mm-hmm. this is like so important to the generation of kids that are in college right now. It's like so huge. So I feel kind of bad I didn't see Infinity War. I think I've seen almost all the rest of them but I haven't seen Infinity War yet. All right. Terrell, what did you cool. see this week? Uh, God. Uh, last movie I saw was actually um it was on demand. It was like uh, Thoroughbreds. Have any of you seen that movie? Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't seen so it. Olivia With the Cook green poster and like the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was really, really interesting. It was really interesting, especially in the context of what we're about to talk to with Sorry to Bother You, because it in some way felt like a sort of spiritual cousin to the movie. Yeah. What's it about? Um, wow, it's really, really hard to describe. It's incredibly dark. It's really, really well-paced. It's um, it basically revolves around a Olivia Cook's character is suffering from a sort of social anxiety disorder, and her this girl that she befriends, who is also like sort of her therapist, is um, really really unhappy with her home life, and she has a stepfather who is you know psychologically very abusive, mm-hmm. and they befriend each other and then hatch a plan to basically, you know, get rid of this stepfather, hmm. right? And they come from a very well-heeled sort of upper-crust family. 
and there's this sort of horse allegory, which was mm. an interesting sort of mm, point. Yes. It's always, it really, it's always really, good when you have a horse uh, allegory. It, it really, it, it makes always the works. Film more interesting, it always I think. works. It always works. So without spoiling anything, I will just say that it just felt like it was in the same world in some interesting way. It felt like they could have been, you know, Steve, cousins, Steve Lips spiritual cousins. cousins. They could have lived down the street from Steve Lip. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> Well, that's it. That's a week in review, that's isn't it? Week in review. <laughs> hey, let's talk about Sorry to Bother You, shall yes, we? Yes, Robert, absolutely. talk us through it. All right, Sorry to Bother You is a very surreal film. I hope you don't mind me saying that, Terrell, but I'm, I'm gonna. Not at all. It's a very surreal film about a guy named Cassius Green. Cassius? Cash Green. I don't think that's... The name is not lost on me. I'm, right, I'm right. down with that. Yeah, I got that. Uh, and Cash it's Green me. gets a job as a telemarketer trying to uh, sell... I think it's encyclopedias. Is that correct? Well, it's telemarketing, so it could be anything. Right. You know? So I mean, I, yeah. that he at first, I think, is selling encyclopedias. I think I remember at one point them at mentioning one, that. Yeah, yeah volumes. And, yeah, he's selling it to that guy. Right. And then uh, he gets pretty good at it and winds up kind of uh, climbing up the ranks. But as he does so, his friends, who are also working at this place, wind up forming a union and trying to strike out against the corporation. And then it just gets haywire after that. So... Uh, uh, that's kind of a, a basic overview without getting into too many spoilers. So what do you guys think? What about the movie? I, I thought it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was brilliant. I thought I was like, it really blew me away. I haven't seen a film like that. If ever. Um, I didn't expect that it would have this arc about somebody basically becoming an activist or a revolutionary. Mm. And I thought that was so interesting. And um, there were some unexpected turns at the end. Uh, which I will not spoil. I would say there's unexpected turns about every 15 minutes. <laughs> I, 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 it definitely, it definitely, it is not a predictable ride. You, I loved the when I saw the trailer. I loved the trailer because I thought the concept was amazing, and I thought that it was obviously um, had a lot to say about society, and that yeah. you know that it was it, it was just going to be super interesting. Um, and not only did it deliver on that, it was so much more than I thought it was going to be. You know, so, complete fan here Chris, on this. Christina, side. Uh, will you? Pronounce this name for me again. Quentin Dupieux. Is that how you pronounce it? Dupieux. 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 Quentin Dupieux. His films felt very, very similar to this. Uh, so, Terrell, do you I'm know not, Quentin I'm Dupieux? I'm not familiar with him. He no. makes a lot of French films, but he makes them in English and mm-hmm. in, in America. He made one film called Rubber that was uh, about a serial killer tire, mm-hmm. and it just goes around yes you mentioned the serial killer tire yeah and I'm gonna have to see this film it's really interesting and he makes just very uh, what I love about this film about Sorry to Bother You is that it brought us into a whole other universe it was uh, what am I trying how do I put this the Marvel universe still exists within Earth and so does this this definitely does too but there's so much craziness and, and quirkiness that it were really in somebody else's imagination. And I, th- I walked out of the theater going, this is what the medium of film can really do. I don't mm. know. I mean, they were, they were playing with things. Uh, like very early on when he's making his first phone calls, he, his desk slams down into people's rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's now face-to-face across from them as they're having sex or as they're having dinner. And he's talking to them, trying to convince them to buy whatever it is he's selling. And it's just such a clever way for us to suddenly be put in, um, into someone else's space. And I feel like that's an imagination that's brought to life within film that we don't get in so many... You couldn't get that even in a novel, right? Like, even in a novel, it wouldn't quite translate the mm-hmm. same way. Mm-hmm. It's visceral. done in film, 
and it's unique to this medium. And I love that when that happens. Michelle Gondry does a lot of that same kind of yes, thing. Yes, I think that that's a really good comparison. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Same, same like... Imagination. Of, yeah, imagination, cinematic imagination. Yes. Um, but very unconventional cinematic imagination. Right. And, and sense of quirk. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and I love those films when they come along. And I mean that as a compliment. And no, I, I think like it's so unique to see these kinds of films. When I went to see it, the theater was packed. Everyone was absolutely enjoying it. And it was also so great to share this, like somebody else's imagination with all of these people. It really brought communal theater going experiences back. I mean, I, I, I find so many of the films that we've been watching are still kind of, uh, even though I'm in a theater, I'm still kind of isolated from people. But mm. this felt like a, like everyone was like, what yeah. the fuck is yeah. going on? Yeah. But yes. in a pleasant way. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I would love to hear what you thought when you first read the script. I mean, oh, wow. I, I mean, that must Well, when been... I first read it, oh, you're talking to Pharrell. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I yeah. see. I, okay. the, I, th- the I guy, thought you were talking to me. The I was, guy I, I, with something to say about oh, this. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first, it was one of these movies that, honestly, came across my plate at one point. I was booked on another job. And um, my agent mentioned it really, really briefly in passing. It was like, well, you know, I don't think it's going to work out because you're not available. And my great fortune or misfortune, as the case may be, was that that job ended. Um, that particular film went on an extended hiatus. And then I was doing like a little Google search and I was just like noodling around on the computer. And there was like something on in one of the trades variety or something saying... Um, Boots Riley is set to start principal photography in the next week on a film called Sorry to Bother You. And then I look at the cast and I'm like, this is like a murderer's row of the, of the actors that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. And Boots, also, I'm a huge, huge fan of his music. I grew up, you know, in the 90s and, uh, you know, I have all of his music on CD. And I immediately called my agent. I said, is this the movie that you were talking about? And she said, yeah, 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 it's pretty crazy. Yeah, you should, you know, you should check it out. I was like, I don't even know if I need to read this, honestly, but please, if, it's, if this job is still available, there are no deal breakers, I have got to do this movie. I mean, that nice. just does not happen. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up on movies, you know, in the 90s that, that really challenged your expectations, you know? When you went to the theater, it was that experience was like, wow, I didn't know film could do, do this. that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it comes across so incredibly rarely now. And, um, you know, I read the script and just was completely floored by it I could not imagine I mean his imagination just it's knows crazy. no bounds yeah. I said to him I said in, in our brief interview when um, when we did talk when he was on a break from between shots with like day three of shooting I said if we were able to achieve 50% of what you've written we are going to be in very very good shape my friend yeah and he not only achieved, you know, well exceeding that, I mean, just beyond my wildest expectations in terms of, you know, his, his voice, yes. his, um, his understanding of, you know, film as a visual medium, you mm-hmm. know, there's nothing more, you know, sort of wrote or uninspiring as an editor to just cut, you know, two shot master mm-hmm. over single, single, you know, he's a very active camera. Um, Doug Evans, our DP, uh, the production designer, the entire team just brought our A game. And, you know, I always say, you know, we make the movie three times, you mm-hmm. know, so we had a very, very good strip script and a fantastic script. And, you know, with the limitations of the budget we have, if we could achieve, you know, a certain percentage of that, we'd be in very, very good shape. So we make the movie once when we write it, and then we make the movie again when we shoot it. And then ultimately we make the movie one more time when we put it together right. in editorial. And as long as we can make it better at each of those stages, you're going to be in very, very good shape. And I feel like we did that, you know, um, 
it was amazing. Every day was like a feast of riches. You would open up and I'd ask my assistant, Kate Prescott, who did an amazing job on this movie, you know, it's like, how much do we have today? What scenes do I have? And she'd prep it and I'd take a look and I'd just go, God, I can go anywhere with this. Yeah. This One of the things that I, I noticed as I was watching, I knew we were going to have you on the show when I watched the film and I really, I, I love the pacing that you put in the film. You, I was literally noticing certain shots and I'm like, any longer and it would start to kind of mess up the pacing any shorter and we don't get enough of what's going on for example there's a um there's a, a scene where at the beginning of the film he the main character cash and his friend are at a nightclub and they see this um like what's behind that curtain well that's the exclusive nightclub section and mm -hmm. he's like well i want to go back there and you know whatever the password is and he goes back and comes back in to the the regular nightclub and your comedic timing as an editor was spot on. And oh, I noticed, you. I'm like, all of this is edited so beautifully and you give us just enough information so as to, for us to understand what's going on, but not so much to overwhelm us or even make the film feel, slug, film feel sluggish. It, it really was a, a beautiful job of editing. Thank you very much. And, and I want you to know, I'm not just sucking your dick here. No, I, he's really not. I, I, I'm, I would say this even if you weren't in the room, if you weren't coming on. I, really I mean, I can suck your deck later, but uh, <laughs> but I want to make it very clear. Like, I'm not just saying that because you're here. I, yes. It was a really, really nice. Let me reassure you, Robert. Robert is, yeah. is not a flatterer. So if he's saying this, he really thinks so. Yeah, that's really, really great to hear. You know, and because it's always my goal as an editor. I mean, they call it the invisible art. You know. Um, yeah. But ultimately, it's my goal is to give a visual, an experience where you the seams go away, where it feels like it's all of one thing. So. You know, in the assembly process, you're trying to build things out and you're making, you know, pretty educated guesses. But ultimately, you know, when you're, you know, experiencing the film as a whole, I want it to feel like it's all of one thing. Yeah. You know, and there's never a chance for unless I want you to to stop and catch your breath. It should just feel like it's a one, whole. Yeah. A holistic experience, you know, that just never stops and. You know, David O. Russell is a great director that I had worked with and um, on The Fighter um, back in 2010. And great he had film. a great, great way of yeah. describing, you know, his um, his goal as a filmmaker. And it was, I basically, I want to grab you by the throat, you know, hmm. and I do not want to let like go. Mm -hmm. you should, your peripheral vision should not exist. Mm -hmm. And that's when you really know. I mean, you think we've all had that experience in the movie theater where literally the entire world shuts off and you're just focused on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing thing. Can you pull that off for over an hour and a half? In some <laughs> that's, cases? That's, that's really a, hard that's to do. Feat. That's really, really a feat, but that's, that's the goal at least. Ira, you've been quiet. Yeah, I just want to say, I too, jumping on what Robert was saying, I had the advantage of emailing with you prior to he, talking to you on the phone before I went to see the film. Yeah. And I was more conscious of the editing than I normally would have been because I had connected with you and I knew I was going to meet you the following night. And again, the length of each shot of the scenes was quite perfect. I was aware of it knowing I was going to meet you. And now, Ira just is kudos just a flatterer. He is just flatterer. None of us do that. Maybe I do a, probably a little more than you, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being really, really honest right now. I want to say I saw it last night in a theater on, in, on Lancashire in North Hollywood. as a packed audience. I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah. It was a packed audience and they loved it. And there was applause at the yeah, end. Same like here. you were saying, right? Yeah. It's a communal and a, and experience. A too. I haven't seen that. I don't know when I've seen that last, um, other than last night. It was. It's interesting because I know that the often that move the film is labeled as a um, 
a comedic science fiction movie, oh. a sci-fi. Co- and I don't think it is. No. I don't think it's science fiction at no. all. And then other people are saying, well, it takes place in the future. No, no. not necessarily. It's like an I'm alternate reality. An alternate yeah. universe, uh, a, parallel, a parallel universe, a quirky universe. But I don't think it's futuristic. No. And I don't no. think it's sci-fi at all. No. I think that that was no. an inaccurate labeling of the film. I love this movie. And I want to also say kudos to the music. Mm. I yeah. love the music. I'm so glad you brought that film. up because that was something I, I wanted to ask you about yeah. as you edit. Yeah, because I I noticed the music was absolutely great and so and right. amazing. How do you edit to music? How do you edit to music? Do you edit the scene first and then lay the music in and kind of tweak the the images to the music? Do you lay the music in first and then put the visuals down? Always last. Always last. The, music um, goes last. Yeah, music always last. The um. Well, there's a few things with that. The we usually start with a temp score mm-hmm. um, of some sort. You know, with this movie, I used a lot of stuff from um, the Lobster. Believe it or not, oh, yeah. I, I could definitely I can totally see. see that. We've talked about the Lobster We've recently. About the Lobster recently, yeah. and yes, that's I mean, a good to, fit. Just to just to feel it. That is just the to right feel tone. It a yeah, bit. yeah. Just, it's just a tonal, just yeah. a starting place, you right? Know? Uh-huh. Just to know because I in the places where I know something will be. The great gift that we had on this movie was that um, it had gone to the Sundance Lab and Meryl Garbus of the Toon Yards had already started an extensive dialogue with oh. Boots about what the music would be. So right. we were able to fly her stuff in really, really early in the mm. process. With a movie like this, that's rarely the case. Usually we live with the temp that I sort of, you know, lay in and, and massage as we go. And, um, you know, then I see it at Sundance and I go, oh, wow, look at this crazy music. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. But it was a great gift because her music is so interesting and so idiosyncratic that getting that music in early actually did dictate some of the cuts. Sure. And it did dictate the rhythm of things. Um, there's a good example after um, after Cassius sees what he sees and he bumps into Steve Lift in that hallway. There's a really quick staccato sort of sequence, you know, where we bounce back and forth and you see, you know, uh, something in Steve Lift's hand and then Cassius's face and then back to Steve Lift's face looking at him menacingly. And that's all those cuts are like right on the beat of yeah. the music at that moment. And that became that way because we had the, the great luxury of having the music that early. Interesting. Do you think later on like that if you had music early for all of your films, do you think that the editing would be easier or stronger? Or do you think it really matters very much? Uh, I think it, um, I think there's a certain amount of danger with laying in too much music too early because mm. it can mask a problem like mickey mouse edits or something like that well uh, first of all i'd never I and mean, then that's a specific case of like cutting to the exact rhythm of the of the music in that particular case but i never cut like a music video it's never just like right on the down the beat, beat. Yeah. It, never that it's usually more guided by the lyrical content mm. and i try mm. to be more arrhythmical and not predictable because that gets boring right you now and kind of rudimentary um, but what I would say about the music, though, is that it's just, it can be, try not to rely on it too heavily early because it can mask problems. And most scenes should work without it. Sure. Right. They should. Can you give you me know? an example of what, where music might mask a problem like that? 
Um, in a in a dialogue scene, and maybe in an emotional dialogue uh. scene. I don't like music that's telling me how to feel. It should just be supporting the emotion. How many times have I said we that? We have talked. That's been Robert's mantra. Yeah. That has been your mantra about music swelling. Like get emotional here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it can be a, con- a convention in some movies. You know, maybe if they're sort of. Um, I don't know, a romantic comedy or something. You know, it could be something that the audience is craving and expecting and, you know, can be effective in that way. It's not my personal taste, but I think it could be, you could be tapping your foot along and feeling like something is working, but maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's not ultimately going to save you. It has to come from the rhythm of the performances. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how long you hold on a shot. Am I feeling something, you know, not on an intellectual level, but on a, on a gut level, mm-hmm. you know, hmm. that's the most important thing. But I try to keep it dry and then that becomes the icing on the cake. But yeah. there's certain sequences like a montage, for example, you know, you're not going to be able to really feel that unless there's right. something there. Mm-hmm. So those that's a different, you know, animal altogether. And I also don't like any music that's sort of leaning into the comedy. You know, I don't, I really, really do not like No penny whistles or like, you know. (laughs) 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 Resist that. Unless, you know, unless there's, you know, occasions like with the game show where you can. Or or if you're editing an old Benny Hill episode or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's a place for that too. But like, you know, in terms of just like, I just want to be rooted in the experience of the character and try to have a light hand with that sort of thing, you know. Do you. Do you do any sort of acting? Uh, not on purpose. No. <laughs> Have you ever, like, in a in a former previous life? Only once. Only once. It was in the first movie that I worked on, Beloved, actually. Um, Jonathan Demi, uh, rest in peace, God. Um, I was walking down the hall with my big old film car one day, <laughs> and he said to me, "Wouldn't he make a great bugler at age 22?" He said that to Chrissy Zia, the production designer, I think. Um, and I walked over and I said, what? I said, Jonathan, I've never, I've never been in a high school play before. I don't want to ruin your movie. And he said, stop, don't shave. We're going to shoot you on the last day. Um, just get ready. And I said, oh, shit. <laughs> so it's a six-month shoot. This was like probably about three months into it or something like that. And there's a scene in Beloved about two hours or so in <laughs> where you see Oprah Winfrey at the top of this hill, and she's having a vision of her sons returning to her. I and remember you. And that was the worst part of the movie. Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> turned it off immediately afterwards. Yeah, it would have won an Oscar if it wasn't that. <laughs> um, but I'm the kid on the right that's um, yelling, Mama, Mama, Mama. Oh, wow. <laughs> the kid on the left. Well, the reason why um, I was asking is I wonder if if having some performance background gives you I mean you were talking about like the feeling of the actors and and the the time that it takes for them to really emote and that doesn't mean that you can't be a great study of it and understand the pacing of how people speak naturally and try to make that work in a, in a realistic sense but I wondered if having a performance background would give you any sort of insight into that Do you, I mean obviously you have yeah. conversations with your friends and you study the, the pacing of even some of those conversations and understanding the realism of how we all speak and that certainly has to play into your work as well but I wondered if, if you being a performer if you feel like editors who can perform if it gives them any sort of edge I think the most important thing as an editor is just being trusting your gut, trusting mm. the um, emotional truth of the moment. You know, if you don't buy it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's an oversimplification, but if you don't buy a performance, you don't buy within your being what somebody is saying and you're not connected to that, then you have to, that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. So I'm going off instinct. That's mm-hmm. another yeah. reason why I try to avoid being on set, if at all possible, because. 
I think it can um, distort mm-hmm. how you feel. How you feel, yeah. right. you know, because you're, you know, people work extremely hard, extremely hard, and very long hours to get what maybe one particular shot. So it's going to be hard for you to say get rid of that if it's not that working. Doesn't work. Yeah, right. yeah. You're going to want to put that in. And you yeah. form attachments on set. You know, you 100%. see people. You see people doing a great job. You see people not. Their personalities come across, yeah. and it colors the footage. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, there's something also that's called unset funny, I like call it. Yes, you know, yes. Like, those are the easiest laughs in the world to so, get. A bit, bit <laughs> like a festival, uh, you know, great, great, great in festival, maybe not so great maybe in box not. office. Yeah. yeah. So if you ever are on set, are you in like a little dark booth, that, or do they have you there I, in Video Village I, watching them? If the, I'm there, generally speaking, which is not the case in this particular film, but it's usually for pickups or something okay. later on, you know, um, just maybe making sure that we're getting it all, you know. Something that matches. More, yeah, because yeah. we have one more shot to get it, and there's some shots I need so I can you know, Got make it. some suggestions. But generally speaking, you know, there's um, not a lot of time, you know, with these movies. So any time that I'm on set is a time that I'm not in my editing bay right. working on the movie. So this movie had an incredibly tight schedule. We were mm. basically, God, I think we started about a year ago. So, so yeah, it was around July 4th week, and I think um, all total was about 13 weeks. Wow. wow. Yeah. And how long was your editing process? That's total, 13 Th- weeks, including the shoot. What? Yeah, it's nuts. No, that's no, crazy. No, no. 13 weeks for, for everything? Shooting and editing? Yes. What? That's, that's yes. crazy. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not counting, you know, sounds and. You know, okay, all right. And, and I was all, like, but yeah. that is a no, 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 no. no, no. Okay. We were, but editing and, and production. But you have editing something to show people after 13 weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, you, we had submitted final, to Sundance. Final, yeah, right? We had gotten to Sundance at that That's point. Crazy. Wow. Yeah, Took us so two years. It becomes your baby. <laughs> it helps to have an editing bay in your house. Yeah, I would <laughs> oh, say so. Wow. So nights wow. and weekends come into play. That's but crazy. the schedule was was tight. You know, there's, yeah. a, there's a Sundance season, you know, right. what I like yes. to describe that starts probably around May. And, you know, films that shoot around there are trying to hit that same target. And we started, you know, in July with a, with a complicated movie. And, right. um, and especially having been in the lab, you know, there's yeah. a lot that you really want to get it in. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, it really is a testament to um, to Boots, you know, it's, it's, and his clarity. You know, he's he's the, so the, impressive. He's a director. I mean, I cannot believe this is his first film. It does not feel like a first film. It, it feels no. like like an eighth or ninth film. It feels yeah. very experienced. It, like the person who's behind the lens. It feels behind fresh. the direct, directorial right. uh, arc of some of the characters. Like we've talked about that so much on this podcast of how to direct and really showing great directorial directorial control over the actors. It 100%. feels it feels it feels it feels like a fresh perspective, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like a awkward first time perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, and very much to his credit, you know, he, if, if something's working mm-hmm. and something's really working, he doesn't mess with it. That's you good. know, it's That's like it, there's magic there. Right. I can change this and it'd be different. But if it's not, if I don't know in my heart of hearts that it's going to make it better, mm-hmm. leave it alone. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that, you know, even from um, the early stages, you mess with a little bit, you know, you, you look under the rock, you, 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 you try this, you try that, and then you goes. Uh, just undo all of that, you, you know, and you just move on. So that's, you know, that's also just when you have actors like this and a director that really knows what they're going for, it makes my job easy. In, in addition to the uh, the music, the editing, the direction and so on, the acting was all uniformly solid. I've got to, I've got to highlight two people in particular. Tessa Thompson was, I found her mesmerizing. I found her compelling. Yeah. I, what a, what a terrific 
character that was. And the other is... You know, I, she's a great actress. Part of that's got to just be her smile. She has such a great agreed, smile, agreed. and you're just... Yeah, it, yeah. It's mesmerizing. You can't separate that. Yeah. Uh, I got to single out Arby Hammer. <laughs> I have to single out as what? Steve Lift? I think mm-hmm. that was the character's name. The dialogue. I was laughing. The dialogue and the way he was delivering it was so right on. Mm-hmm. He was just terrific. Everyone was. What? 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 what, what? You were looking at me just like I was going to pick it up. Like, I'm done. I'm done. Save save me. Yeah. Uh, Was there there a performance or performance moment that you particularly liked or just one that you really fell in love with in the editing room? Oh, me? Well, (laughs) again, Robert, not so interested Uh, in your opinion at this point. Love you, but no. You know, that scene um, in Steve Lips Mansion was between Lakeith and, and Army, mm-hmm. um, that was, I mean, that's a that's that's the longest scene in the movie, and really it's more yeah. like four scenes, if you really want to think, yeah. and, and, and Boots understood that and sort of blocked it that way and covered mm-hmm. it very specifically so you weren't stuck with the same coverage. He really kind of was very specific about, you mm-hmm. know, what shot was specific for what moment. Um, but watching that and watching those two go head to head, I mean, Good Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just like, this is just, I don't think we really changed much there, honestly, mm-hmm. in terms of the, the performance. We could have and we experimented a little bit, but just watching those two guys just go at it um, was as good. It was my equivalent to watching like Pacino and De Niro, you know, in Heat in or heat. something like that. You yeah. know, like it was like these are two guys that are so in complete command at their craft. Yeah. And Boots could give them the slightest little adjustment. You know, it put some sort of like, you know, abstract sort of idea in their head and they would, you know, try that. But mm. it was all good. I mean, it was all, all good. Those guys are amazing. So fun. I want to ask you a question uh, tangentially to this. What do you think, you know, what's your favorite film edit- editorial wise? Like, what's your favorite film when you watch just the editing? Um... They're all going to be from the, the 90s, that period of time where you're young and you're, you know, just like... You're influenced. The, the, yeah, the things that made you fall in love with the medium, you know. Um, yeah. um, there's, do you know, you, you guys know Hank Corwin? Do, do you familiar Definitely. with his work? He cut um, The Big Short most recently. Okay. Um, but a film that he cut in... That's really well cut. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, there's a film, um, the Oliver Stone film, Natural Born Killer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that was one of the first movies where I really kind of understood the potential of editing as a as a craft, mm-hmm. you know, because again, it's, you know, some people say if you're noticing the editing, you know, there's something wrong. Um, I don't really agree with that, but just the um, the level at which that film is, mm-hmm. is, is operating is mm-hmm. astounding to mm-hmm. me. It's very This mixed medium and this yeah. idea that you can do anything, right. yeah. you know, as long as you're, you know, consistent in terms of, you know, your aesthetic and your voice, um, the audience will go with you, you know. Um, Pulp Fiction also, yeah. which was released in the same year. Those are two movies I saw in college or just like came out of the theater just like in a... Blown away. Just like in a blur. Just like, what did I just see? This mm-hmm. is insane. I think know? even Heat struck me that way with the editing. Yeah. Heat, with yeah. the fire, you know, the, the shooting, bank robbing scene, the firefight at the yeah. end, uh, or in the middle, I guess. Yeah. That was incredibly well edited astounding you have so much going on and, yeah. and you can still keep track of what's happening and and even the scene that you're talking about with Pacino and De Niro sitting across from each other yeah. which they use just one take but 
you know, when do you cut from one camera to the next? Like yeah. they use one acting take, but they had two or three different cameras and, and it was just really masterfully edited, even though it was all the same acting take. Yeah. I think they used like take number three or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, um, you know, I mean, the um, the shootout is the big showpiece scene. I mean, like I could, if that's on, like I'm, I'm in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm, oh, I'm just going to go to bed late tonight. But it's funny that you mentioned that because I did actually revisit that a couple of weeks ago. And what struck me this time was when you talked about like, you know, holding and the length of shots and the meaning or the subtext behind that. If you just watch the first 10 minutes of that movie and you watch the editor's sort of command, you know, where he holds on Val Kilmer when he's buying the, you know, the, um, Dynamite. the demolition supplies yeah. and you just hold on him a little longer and you see him clocking the guy after he shows his driver's license to the guy that's packing up the crate full of the explosive and it just holds longer than you normally mm. would yeah. to indicate that something is something's up something's yep. up they're yep. up to something it's so great you just see people clocking things you see Tom Sizemore clocking the guy with the uh, with the long hair and the beard, mm-hmm. you know that he calls slick in the truck, and it just holds on him, just sizing him up, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to the guy next to him. Like, right, like I got you, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I know you're a loose cannon. Yeah, you understand that there's something else at work, and mm-hmm. that's the magic, you know. I mean, it's it's got to be to the frame. You know, exactly. And you're a tour guide. You're, you're directing the audience and really holding their hands. Showing them where the to experience. look. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything else about Sorry to Bother You that anybody wants to bring up? I feel like it's such a great, unique film that uh, does anybody have any last thoughts they want to add? Let's talk about money shots. What are money shots that we have for the film? Well, I'll go first. So money shots, I should explain to you, Terrell. Money shots are what are the images that you're going to think about when you think of the film five years from now when somebody mm-hmm. says this and they bring the film up. Now for you, that could be completely different because of how much time you've spent <laughs> staring at this yeah. film. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you mine, which is the, the, I mentioned it earlier. It's him falling through the roof of different people's yeah. houses, yeah. Mm-hmm. having this conversation with them where he's trying to sell them stuff. And what I love about this, that whole um, gimmick is it wasn't overused. It was used a couple of times. It reminded me a lot of, we talked about um, Annie Hall on this podcast, a couple, mm. like I think about this time last year, Ira. And, you know, a lot of things that Woody Allen does in Annie Hall, the gimmicks that he uses, he never returns back to. He doesn't overuse it. It, it allows us to appreciate that moment, but it never gets stale. And I think that was a really nice call to, to have us use it a few times and get that gimmick and, and appreciate what's going to happen next. But then we're done with it, and we don't keep returning to it. I think Amelie did the same kind of thing with um, you know, some of some of her moments where she's imagining how many people are having sex right now, and, and little moments like that. And and they're really these little flourishes that I I love so much that we don't we don't abuse, mm. and I really like that. Right, right. What about you, Christina? I think the money shot that first pops to mind is a shot that I can perhaps not discuss without yeah. ruining things for no. the audience because that was truly shocking. <laughs> it's truly a shocking shot. And, shocking and that it, I know exactly which shot you're talking about. I was, we all do. But I was we're not gonna, yeah. very shocked. Shocked. Completely shocked. <laughs> um, so that would be what springs to mind first. Huh. Um, but that one, huh? Yeah. Shocked, um, but it worked. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yes. No, it's, it, it was... It worked. It, yeah, no, I mean... It was very interesting. If you do watch the film again, you may notice certain breadcrumbs. Yes. There there, there are certain things that are going on. I mean, the movie is incredibly rich with with detail. Mm -hmm. And there are certain, you know, 
in the inflection of a line here mm -hmm. or maybe something, a poster in the background. Mm -hmm. Wow. There are certain, you know, breadcrumbs it, that are sprinkled. I, I, didn't, I believe you. I, I believe you. I didn't notice so many, but it no, definitely, you, but it didn't feel. it's not feel, even meant to But it, You know, but so. I appreciate that because it, it didn't feel out of left field. Let's put it that yeah. way. It felt like it was consistent with the story universe. Yeah. And yeah. like. I agree. Um, so that was good. But the other thing I just want to call out is I think, um, um, you know, the actor, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who plays um, Cash, like his posture mm. um, and particularly the shot of him slumped over because he mm -hmm. slumps down a lot. Mm -hmm. And when he's slumped over in the um, at the mansion. And there's there, there's that sort of um, dolly in past all the people having sex, mm -hmm. and he just looks totally defeated, mm -hmm. and yeah. like just checked out, and like I I like I I don't know it was such a beautifully framed shot it was such a nice camera move and he, it really shows his isolation really at the moment of his success in a way mm -hmm. um, you know he's gotten to the top but he feels so alone. And I just, that was a really great shot. You know, I think even extending that, it's not a money shot, but uh, at the beginning when he's pointing at his uncle and he does like a hook finger. Do you know what I'm talking yes, about? I towards totally the do. camera and he doesn't point directly. Uh -huh. And it almost felt like this choice to be like, I'm not assertive enough to point directly at you. And I, I can appreciate what you're talking about with that slumped posture because it was so consistent throughout until he starts to, we start to see a little bit of change yeah, and we start dressing a little nicer and, yeah, and, and standing up a little straighter. Mm. There's interesting little moments there. Ira, what about you? I had a couple. Also, one money shot was when they first decide to go on strike. The, fa the phones down. Is mm -hmm. that what they say? Phones down. So what, when they go on strike, it, there are, there's a group of, of telemarketers. Uh, telemarketers who decide that they're going to protest against their, their company. They and want they, benefits. Right. And so they all decide to strike. Good. Yes. And um, the phones down chanting, it did remind me of um, Sally Field with Union totally. Sign in yeah. Norma Ray. It's a, it's yeah. a unionizing that, film. You had that, I really got a, yes. a shiver on that moment with the famous her holding up the yeah. sign. And that was a money shot for me. My second example, I don't know if it's a money shot per se, but I just like how it was shot and how it went on for so long, pushing those buttons on the pad. Yeah. And well, it went so on. You should, you should how, describe yeah, what this go, is. Uh, help us getting into the, well, that was in the elevator. Yes. yes. The yeah. power To get to the elevator. power, right, to get to the top. So the, he finally ascends to the, the, the power collar division of the, the company. The and highest division. When he gets, yeah, the highest division, when he gets into the elevator, he has to enter in the, 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 the woman who's escorting <laughs> right, him has right. to enter in into the code uh, to get the elevator to move and the, the code is obnoxiously long. <laughs> Here's what I want to say in, in a, an affectionate, loving way. How dare the editor director let that go on for so long? No. It was, it was how funny. dare they not How dare it? they That's not? That's what was that, so it's funny. That joke, and it just had another wave and we thought the joke was done we just, and yet you dared to do it and you extended it and it went on longer and it worked, it worked, it worked. That is... a. You know that's me. That's a great... That's it's totally great. my humor. The yeah, humor that's great. like, it gets funny and then it's not funny. Yeah. And then when it starts getting funny again... Right, yeah. right. And then sometimes it, that third wave is my favorite right. where it's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> that's my favorite. And that's exactly how long they punched in numbers was that. We just got to crest that third right. wave. Right. And yeah. man, that's so great. Well, when the woman punched it in, it was written on a piece of paper. I was like, wow, and it's written on a piece of paper. Yeah. There were just a lot of details where you're like, it's not like if I was going to do it, I'd have it on my phone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I'd be looking. But it was like written on pen, by pen oh, so on great. a piece of paper. There yeah. were just a lot of really like sort of toothsome details. Yeah, Terrell. What about you? What's a what's a shot that you're gonna remember? <laughs> what, I'll put that, fifty what, years what, from now. What, what, yeah. what shot haunts your dreams? Honestly, yeah. that shot that you mentioned, 
um, which I that Christina mentioned about Actually, yeah, Christina mentioned about the which I refer to as the eyes wide shut shot. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, um, that totally. shot haunts me. Really, that shot yeah. really, really does haunt <coughs> me. That haunting. you can and the way um, Mr. Blank walks into the frame and he sort of assesses the scenario and he kind of you know lumbers over to him and the way that just is so elegant and chilling and. Um, absolutely gorgeous and dark and, yeah I mean it just I mean it just shows you how powerful the the medium of film can be mm-hmm. you know that I always say to you know to anybody that if, if I have a choice between you know a, a shot and a and a line of dialogue and they're both conveying the same thing I'll take the shot every mm-hmm. day Smart. because that will always engage the viewer more greatly than the line yeah. will, you know? And you just understand completely, particularly after what you've just seen in the previous scene, where he is. Mm-hmm. He's crossed the line. Mm-hmm. He's completely alone. He's mm-hmm. lost himself at that yeah. particular moment. Um, that's really strong. I really like what we call the, the, the trombone shots, you know, which is an old technique where basically the camera dollies in and then they, they, they zoom out. out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah the, the Spielberg zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, the, it's the Jaws shot. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or, uh, or like in... Um, uh, Vertigo. Vertigo, uh, yeah. and they used it in the in the Hobbit, not the Hobbit, but the first one. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. I remember not knowing that he was going to do that and get in those dailies and getting no. really excited. It's like, Rear Window, we're coming on a movie with that Rear shot. Window. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, Rear Window did that shot. Yeah, right. absolutely. Terrell, I'm wondering if you can movies. weigh in on a, a little bit of a Trump discussion we've been having. We've been talking in this podcast for a while about: Is it possible to have a to be too pretty? Is it possible for a film to be too pretty? Can a cinematography do too good of a job? And I want to ask you because I think you would have a more interesting perspective. If we ask a cinematographer, they're of course they're, they're just, their answer would be weighted, I think. Mm. But the fact that you're at the ultimate you know, control, you're the final say-so on what images that we see and which ones we don't, I wonder if you would think that, image, that a film could be too pretty or if that's impossible. I th- hmm. That's a really, really good question. Um, I mean, I love beautiful, beautiful films. I love, um, you know, the way Kubrick will be incredibly meticulous about forming the perfect shot where any still of that particular shot you could hang up in a museum, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I really love, you know, that attention to detail and to craft. Um, What I don't like is when there's what I would call shot love, you mm. know, where it's servicing, the shots are servicing themselves rather than the story. Mm. Um, and that can happen too. It's like, wow, we're, we're really lingering here. The movie is going to be beautiful regardless. It's really, really important not to be indulgent about that, you know, and, um, and make sure that whatever you're doing, that you're maintaining the audience's um, interest mm. and that they're engaged in the story. So, you know, so you think it's possible for it to happen? I think it's possible. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think you see it, and you know, I think you see. Can you it. think of a film that might you might say is is too pretty for its own good? Um, hmm. I would say, I don't know if pretty is the right word, but um, I would say you know like a movie like um, Grand Budapest Hotel, which I think is a great hmm. film. Um, there's there's aspects of it where I don't want to feel the the director's fingerprints all over everything mm-hmm. if that makes any sense yeah. you know so that film is really really symmetrical and mm-hmm. there's you know there's a lot of um really really incredible detailed attention and it's he's an amazing amazing filmmaker but i prefer some 
perhaps some of his earlier films where it, it you know felt too where clinical. It's, yeah. I know what you mean. It's funny because yeah. I also it's a little sterile sometimes. Yeah. I was flashing it. on the same question also, Robert, because we we're talking about the role of editing. Yeah. And that's what triggered the same thought. And Robert and I have a couple of examples that maybe could fall in that category of a movie that's self-consciously too pretty. Uh, the first Thomas Crown Affair, shot by Haskell Wexler, mm. was quite gorgeous, almost mm. too much. Now, Robert, you've mentioned what dreams may what come. What dreams may come? The you Robert Williams that, right, movie, right? That's Robin almost, Williams. Um, but yeah, yeah which yeah. was groundbreaking in terms of its visuals. It was, yeah. but it was almost distracting. It was like I was. It was so visual oriented with the melting paints and everything else that I don't even, I don't even know what the movie was about. I just oh, remember, no. yeah, he was in a bun- in a painting that was melting or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just remember yeah. the visuals, the reds and everything else, and it mm-hmm. was like I, the movie didn't mean anything to me other than just the mm. visuals. Yeah, I don't want to go into an experience like um, I love um, you know auteur filmmaking, filmmaking like it could have been only been made by yeah. one person. Yeah, I agree. I think that's feeling. true of this week's film. Absolutely. I mean, this yeah. is definitely this was this was the most definitely the most. I mean. You know, I was lucky enough to be at Sundance this past year, and like there were a lot of auteur films, I would say, but this is in all the classical senses of auteur, like visionary, yep. like particular vision, finger, you know, just drove the film. This was very much an auteur. And film. more to the point, I'm so excited for his next film. Oh yes, like I'm. That's I, I'm now going to be looking out for what's when's his next film coming out, and, I'm, and, and I, that's an auteur film, not. Not somebody who directs a, a rom-com that is almost a nameless director that's kind of like, oh, who is that person? I, I can't think of that. Honestly, I felt such... I really can't describe how... F- and I think the reference to 90s cinema is really apt here. Um, my Actually, my husband said the same thing when we stepped out because mm. it kind of reminded him of that kind of experimentation, like even like the Truman Show in a way, mm-hmm. where it's like a, mm-hmm. it's a commentary on society and like society's obsession with media in a certain way. So there was like... But I just was like... I just... And I'm really... Uh, like I feel it again talking about it. Like it was exciting. Like mm. it was exciting to see a film do something cool. Like I, I just... I really was, um, I mean, there are a lot of, um, there are, I've seen a lot of experimental films where I've left the theater and been like, what the heck? Yeah. You know what I mean? But I just, I honestly felt really thrilled. Mm. And I think that um, I, I obviously, w- what an amazing vision. And I can't wait to obviously put together an amazing team. And I can't wait to see what else happens. Yeah. So the next thing that we need to do is we need to talk about how does this rate on the anti-scale. So, oh, yes. So, Terrell, to give you an idea of what this is, this is not how good or bad do we think the film is, sure. but how anti-wave is it? How much does this throw off the typical Hollywood uh, shackles, so to speak? And mm-hmm. uh, and so when if it gets a higher low scale that has no reflection on our overall view of the film. So... What do we think? Do you, Ira, why don't you go first? Yes, Ira. Oh, Ira man. never goes first. Yeah, and you know, Ira I was wrestling with this last yeah, that's why I went to Two in the morning, I was wrestling with you this issue. Really, and it was going to come up. Yeah, Ira. in a good way. No, that's it's adorable. good to think about because there was a protagonist. Yeah. And there was an antagonist. Mm-hmm. So we had that basic, but then with what you dared to pull off, I mean, it, it there was, there was, so it definitely is an anti wave film, but. Not as anti-wave as other films that we've done somehow, even though the style is so anti-wave. Right. The style is so anti-wave. On the 1 to 10 scale, I'm going to say is an anti-wave film. Again, this is not a reflection because we all love the movie, but I'm suggesting it was a, um, uh, a 7.8. 7.8. Mm-hmm. Really? Right. Christina, what do you think? Like 9.5. Well, I would say about a 9. Well, I don't think I've gone that high before. I don't think so. I, I but I think in terms of the subject matter and the characters and like... 
the twist. Yet it was traditional storytelling. But I though. think uh, where See, I can su- traditional where I can support with Ira saying is it is like a three act structure. Yes, it is. Yeah. it is antagonist protagonist. Right. We had all that basic stuff. Yeah. Right, but in terms of doing something fresh, in terms of doing but something... But I think it's fresh anti-wave? The yeah, idea of anti-wave is. is taking that kind of traditional... Turning it upside and down. Turning it upside well, down. Well, this is certainly turned upside down, but there is still a basic traditional I can appreciate structure. what you're saying. I totally do. I agree yeah. with you, Ira. I mean, it's, it, it is... All right, I'm changing my... No, no, no. I'm going to 8.3. I'm going to 8.3. I just... And you know, and I, I just... I don't see... And a lot of films, especially when I thought was so... Really, in, in its core, so anti, is not only was it you know, talking about racism in society and like capitalism and like all this stuff. But I think that I really appreciated the arc to activism. Like I just, I yes. don't think I see a character and like that. And it wasn't preachy. No, Can, it was like, it was fascinating. And also there's so many varied rich characters Yeah, like Detroit. Like I just love these characters. Yeah. And like, and I, you know, and, and I forget the character's name who was the other power caller. Sal. Sal. Yeah. I mean, it's just—it's just. I mean, his. You know, there were the friends that you know the the activist who goes from you know from unionizing like workplace after workplace. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This was not our typical characters. We do. This is not a range of characters that we see in most Hollywood films. I think we can safely say that this is not this is not the usual fodder. I, I appreciate what you're saying. I can also appreciate what you're saying, Aya, which is. He has the girl at the beginning, and they yes. have a rough time, and they lose his girl, gets girl back. Yeah. Right. Totally. So it's a formulaic. Yes, the, that part was formulaic, but there are elements formula. of formula. But that's it does why I had spin trouble it with this. Head. That's why I was staying up so late wrestling with this Aww. question in a good way. Yes, but in a good way. I do want to say I think this is one of my favorite films we've seen this year, yeah. and yeah. and I, I'm just Agreed. I'm so happy that we have you here, Terrell. Oh, what do you think film. about how anti-wave do yes. you think that? Now I'm not sure how how aware you are of anti-wave films, but. I think you get the general notion. Like, how much does it twist the typical Hollywood uh, structure? What do you think? I think it turns it on its ear completely. You know, it's the yeah. reason why I go to the movies is to see things that are going to challenge convention. You know, um, there's so many um, really, really great, talented directors that are you know sort of plucked out of Sundance, and then you know, here's the big studio mm-hmm. job or whatever it is, and you know, and you can't begrudge them for taking that opportunity. Sure. Just wish. Sometimes I do lament the loss of that second film that they would have made if they hadn't done that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in this, you know, in an alternate universe, I'd love to see what some of those directors would do next. And, you know, life is long and careers are long and hopefully we'll get an opportunity to see some of these really talented filmmakers maybe come back to, you know, some more personal projects rather than, you know, the corporate... The machine. Yeah. And there's, a, there's room for all of it. I you know, I just wish sometimes that there was um, more room or, um, you know, that audiences, you know, start to hopefully crave something something new rather than a movie where you walk in and within the first 10 minutes you know it's going to end one of two ways. So what you scale, would, what number would you give it on the scale of 1 to 10? 10 being... Totally, um, I always come up short when I'm trying to think of these kind of movies. Ten being, I want to say before, Koina Scotsi, and and one being Armageddon or something like that. <laughs> um, I guess a nine. A I nine? Yeah, man, yeah. I do see what you guys are saying about the about the narrative having sort of a a traditional arc, but I think that's what helps. Sell it. Um, that's right. Yeah. That's what that's yeah. Yeah. And Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The girl I mean, comes I back. Sorry, I just put words in your mouth, but yeah. I, I think that's... No, but I think that's a good... I think that's a good word. It makes it more tangible in a world that's already going to um, 
push your expectations. Right. I think it's um, I think it's really good that it does have this spine that's familiar. Yeah. Because when you have that, people don't lose their way. Right. Right. You right. know, um, I absolutely love that there's a female protagonist in this movie that has agency. You yes. Know, yeah. And that she's not just made to be the sort of moral compass for our protagonist. You know, waiting there. You know. Yes. Oh, Cash. You know, you really need to. You know, she's, think about she's, your life. Yeah. Yes, you know, just totally. she's knitting and she's waiting to give him some sage <laughs> advice and send him on his way. Yeah. Right. You know. I mean, if there's a moral compass, you know, in this movie, it's, which Boots just did brilliantly, it's, you know, that photograph. Yeah. Yeah. You know? You're so right. There's a, I mean, yeah. there's that a photograph really, that, that, that we see throughout that changes. And, uh, and each time it changes, it really is a signal to the audience. Uh, it's, it's a guy leaning against his car. And you every time exactly. it changes, you know where you're supposed to be. You know and, exactly. Where and we already know where we're supposed to be, but it's just kind of confirming. Yeah. Almost like a, an emoji placed throughout yeah. the entire yeah. film. Yeah, and we just kind of check in on, and it always works, and always gets a great reaction. Yeah, which you can tell that it's, people are like, because you know, if people are emotionally confused, they won't laugh. And when people, when that always gets a, a, a good response, I know that they're engaged, yeah. and they understand, and they're along with him, you know, in the experience, which is great. Cool. Well, hey, let's, again, uh, again, I just want to back up and say one. We, I know, we're repeating ourselves that a, we all love the film, and b, as you know, I saw it in a little theater in North Hollywood last night on a Sunday. A, it was packed, and b, the audience broke into thunderous applause at the end. I haven't seen that in very long. Your message is being heard loud and clear. How nice that must feel for you. Oh, it's fantastic, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Ira, hmm? let's talk about Dead Corner. Oh, good segue. Wait, where's my... <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Got it. Unfortunately, we must. The following people have turned to dust. All right. All right. We lost the following people in the industry in the uh, last seven days. Tab Hunter, you guys. Okay, that went over real well. Yeah, Tab 86-year-old American. He was in Damn Yankees. He was in Grease 2 and so on. You guys remember Tab Hunter? Yeah. Okay, no more. All right. Uh, there were a couple of other people. Jenny Phillips, an American documentarian, 76-year-old. Uh, she drowned she did uh, the Donald right. Brothers yeah the wall also Roger Perry you guys 85 year old American actor a lot of TV Falcon Crest and so on but he was also in a number of AIP American International Pictures films playing the vampire character Count Yorga <laughs> in both of those films and we also lost Kirk Douglas he passed away oh that's awful that's I didn't know Kirk Douglas yeah. no. Ira Guess what game we're gonna play this week? Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! This week we're no. gonna watch it. We're gonna play a game called Would Ira Watch It? Now, Terrell, I'm gonna explain to you how this film. <laughs> Terrell how this already likes works. the idea. I, I think this is gonna be fun. So we've got to figure out Would Ira Watch It? And the whole premise behind this is like it, Christina would not watch anything that deals with child endangerment, something yeah, that's I too scary. Can't, she, can't she'll do too, it right she'll now. turn off. I'll watch anything. So you could turn on the shittiest film and I can't turn it off. Mm-hmm. But Ira's a little more selective. And so this is the... Selective? The, I think he has, per, he has certain interests. I think we could yeah. put it that way. An so agenda? I'm, well, yeah, somewhat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read the film. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. I'm going to read the film and uh, I'm going to... We're going to try to guess, would Ira watch this film or not? All right. So I, you can't tip your hand, Ira. You got to uh, you gotta and, remain and silent. To, and to be clear, he has to watch it all the way to the end. Mm. So he's got to watch it to the end. Yeah. All the way to the very end. Okay. Okay. So the first one is called Raise Your Voice, a coming of age story centered around a small town singer brokenhearted by the death of her brother in a car crash who had secretly submitted her for summer session at Performing Arts Academy in Los Angeles. In the Performing Arts Academy, she experiences a whole new way of life in the big city, far from the small town lifestyle she's used to. Would Ira watch it? What do you think? 
I think it depends on who's starring in Matt, the film. I think so too. Um, I can say that I would definitely watch yeah, it. Yeah, you would, great. you're watching this I, thing. Any, any movie film, I'm but like But would Ira watch it all the way to the end? Again, I think who's the main female star mm. is really going to take Ira one way or another. Can it star Anna Kendrick? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say... I, I think that's the beauty is it, we have to decide based on what, what we've been presented and we don't know. We don't know. I, I, I would say it's a 50-50 chance. Hmm. Um, but I'm going to go for yes. Yes? I'm going to go for yes. What do you think, Terrell? I'll go for yes. I'll yeah, I would say yes, he would watch it too. Hour, so, I feel yeah, like you would watch this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This feels like an Ira Ooh. film. Yes, it's an Why film. would you watch that? Because well, it's got Anna. <laughs> In your version, it does. All right, this next one is called The Voices. Jerry is that chipper guy clocking a nine to five at a bathtub factory with the offbeat charm of a schizophrenic who could use a few friends. With the help of his court appointed psychiatrist, he pursues his office crush. However, the relationship takes a sudden murderous turn after she stands him up for a date. Guided by his evil talking cat and benevolent talking dog, Jerry uh-huh. must decide whether to keep striving for normalcy or indulge in a much more sinister path. The are voices. These, refil- these are real films. Mm. Wow. Okay. What do you guys think? That sounds amazing. I know. <laughs> uh, 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 what, was the, what was the talking cat? Yeah, and a benevolent talking dog. And a talking dog. I don't know. I was a little worried when I heard about the talking dog and the cat, but I'm going to say yes for sure. I think Ira would... Oh, this is this is starring Ryan Reynolds and Anne Kendrick. Get what the fuck this? out of here! Whoa! <laughs> and I still Are you have for to. Real? I still have to be stoic. All right, I'm. I'm. I'm I, stoic. If you if you says Anna Kendrick, he's in 100. percent Doesn't matter. He's got such a boner for her. Producer Joe, we gotta pick, pick some harder films than this. Um, but you know, I think just based on the premise, I think this is a film that sounds like he would watch the first 20 minutes of mm-hmm. and then turn off. He'd probably be like, I don't want to finish this. But if it's got Anna Kendrick in it, you're, you're watching it all the way through. So I'm going to say yes. But the, the, benevolent, the benevolent dog would be a turnoff for you, though, yeah. right? That would be the point where you'd be like, you know what? Yes, I, you, you had me before the dog came Totally. Along. All right, yes. Ira, would you watch it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that I think I'd like... watch it even without Anna. Really? Yeah. What, what if yeah. it was bad? Oh, then I turned off. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and the last one. Here we go. The Voice of the Moon, directed by Federico Fellini. A parable on the whisperings of the soul that only madmen and vagabonds are capable of hearing. Based on the novel Il Poema de Lunati Lunacati by Armano Casavoni. Man, I'm so bad at pronouncing that. The film is about a fake inspector of wells and a former prefect who wander through the countryside of Fellini's childhood and discover a dystopia of television commercials, fascism, beauty pageants, rock music, Catholicism, and pagan ritual. No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Terrell? What do you watch it? Hey, I gotta go now. I gotta, I gotta go now, too. Go, go, go. Hell no. <laughs> Ira, I think, we I, figured I, you out. I, yeah. I think, I think it, when you first even said the title, I, know, and, you know, I was like... I, I was, was like, gonna yell out no. I was right. I, when you yeah. first I was said like, the title, I was going, politely no. waiting, but I was like, it's a no. Yeah. And I was like, based on these poems, no. Yeah. Wait, and then we, you said Inspector Wells. I was like, we are going farther and farther from yes. If there was a way <laughs> to say yes, by the time they got to the Catholicism and pagan yes, ritual, pagan ritual yeah. Ira's changing. Just a no, Ira flips to softcore porn immediately. Are we saying I'm not sophisticated and I'm not highbrow? I would never say no. that, Ira, You're, but I would, I would say that Inspector Wells does not come in on your no. first. Yeah. You're damn right. Okay. Yeah. 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 You, you have no patience for that. No. That's what it is. Right. Just not for your that. Thing. Now, you are sophisticated and you would appreciate other 
possible Fellini films, although maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I but, thought you like La Dolce Vita. Mm. No. Yeah? Yeah. No. Mm. Oh, no. really? No. I haven't seen No. What? <laughs> All right, we've got to wrap okay, this up, guys. Put right. that on my list. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, all right. On that note, let's go to our top five. Want to do that, Ira? Let's do a top five and hit it, Vern. It's time to give a listen, you little creeps, to our top five. So our top five this week is top five corporate masterminds. Evil. Evil. Corporate masterminds. Evil corporate masterminds. Yeah. Evil right. corporate mastermind geniuses. <laughs> It's going to be a really long title for this. All right. Uh, Christine, you want to kick us off? No. No? No. You All go right. ahead. <laughs> you want Tyrell? me to go first? I'll Tyrell, go. why don't you Tyrell, go? Sure, you go. I'll go. Okay. Coming in at number five. I'm getting used to this, guys. I'm mm-hmm. going to take over your job. Yeah, yeah you do are. it. Um, <laughs> number five, I have uh, Office Space. Oh. That's a good one. Bill Lumberg, man. Jesus Christ. Peter. What's happening? Peter. The Infotech, just the life-sucking fluorescent lights in that movie mm-hmm. is brutal. Um, I hope I'm getting the right criteria. Right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, yeah. It was oh, a, yeah. it was one that I had right hovering on the edge. I didn't put it in, but it was right right there. Okay. All right. At number four. This is well, hold on. No, no, no. We just stop. do your five. Oh, we all go around five, yeah, okay. then we go to four. Yeah. Okay, Ira, what's your number five? Okay. Now, I might get a little flack from you guys on this. Oh, here we go. Because it's not in the tradition, but I'm going to argue that it's a valid choice. And I came up with... Again, listen to the words, evil corporate mastermind. Uh, Danny Ocean in Ocean's Eleven, the original one, he was evil, a bad guy. He was also taking corporate, like all the hotels in Vegas, and masterminding a huge break-in. He wasn't part of the corporation, but he was busting into corporations. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, 1960. I, I think it's fine. Now, listen. I know that the uh, the remakes obviously are very glitzy, beautifully photographed with great stars and stuff. But there's something about the original 1960. Hmm. And my dad and I, when we saw it, and with hmm. with the Rat Pack. You know, with, with Frank and, and Sammy and Dean Martin and all those guys. Wow. And it does not hold up it well. It doesn't hold up. It does yeah. not hold up well. But that it's last mel- shot is great. When it they're is. walking down the street. E-O-E yeah. love after yeah. the, yeah, the body get And they're all walking. You know that last shot. Yeah. Robert, that's cool that you know. So it does not hold up well. But I, for me, it's the memory of seeing it with my dad. Right. And I'm making the argument that it sort of fits into evil corporate masterminds. All right. Uh, okay. Christina, what's your number five? I had to put on the list what first sprung to mind, which was... You know, Austin Powers. Austin Powers. I just, you know, hmm. Dr. Evil. I just, the cat, the whole thing. Just, yeah. Evil. Evil. <laughs> and, and yet hysterically. And a mastermind. And hysterically funny at now, the same time. is he, is that corporate? Yes, arguably, especially as it, as it moves through the uh, franchise. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes it goes corporate. Mm-hmm. Excuse corporate. All right. Uh, I chose for my number five a film from 2004, In Good Company, with Dennis Quaid, Topher Grace, and Scarlett Johansson, where uh, Dennis Quaid winds up having to have this like young 24-year-old boss in Topher Grace, and uh, kind of makes his life a living hell because Mm -hmm. this kid is so much younger than him, and he's now the big boss. And it turns out that Topher Grace falls in love with his daughter Scarlett Johansson. Have you seen this, Ira? I haven't. Oh yeah, you'd like it. Yeah, yeah, you would. Well, it's got Scarlett. Yeah, Yeah, it's got your girl, your other girl. That's your girl. Yeah, yeah. Ira's got a lot of girls. Yeah, Yeah. she and Anna. As long as they have a vagina. Hey, Ira's girl. (laughs) Ah, they don't have to have a vagina. You knew what you were getting into yeah, if you yeah, listened yeah. the first time. Jerome, <laughs> uh, what you got? What's your number four? My number four. So when I grew up, I watched entirely too much TV. And this is a movie that was on TV. Like, it seemed like every Saturday afternoon. 
a movie called Coma. Have you guys ever heard of that oh, movie? Yes. Michael yeah. Crichton really yes. directed this yeah. movie. It's like, you know. George Siegel. Yeah. George Siegel starred in that film. Dystopian future. Um, Tom Selleck is in this oh, movie as a cameo. He goes in for okay. a routine knee operation. And what happens basically this. is they find out, this, uh, this young doctor finds out that what they're doing at this corporation is basically putting people into medically induced comas and then harvesting their organs for I have profit. Seen this. And it is fucking creepy as mm-hmm. shit. It wow. really is. Shots in these movies yep. where they're like in a warehouse yes. and she sees these bodies hanging by strings and so it's a gross. shot that's been ripped off yes. over and over again. But they're suspended in this warehouse and there's this sort of infinite perspective and there's a ton of bodies and uh, she's on the run. I just need to correct great, something. It was not pick. George Siegel. I was wrong. That was Terminal Man. However, there is an image in coma, like you said, with the bodies suspended yeah. hanging down from that ceiling, that luminous yeah, ceiling. Michael and it was Douglas a haunting shot. A young Michael Douglas. Yeah, nice. Okay. Yeah. Hmm, Ira, what's your number four? Number four, you guys? Gordon Gecko. We're talking, uh, we're talking Wall Street. Oh, it's corporate raider. Yeah. Corporate raider. Definitely. Hard to believe that was 1987. Is that that was like quite a while ago? 1987. <laughs> Oliver Stone, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 That. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my uh, number four. Christina. Superman. Superman. 1978. Lex Luthor. Ooh. Evil. Good call. Corporate. Wow. Smarmy. Really smarmy. Is that Gene Hackman? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. Nice. Uh, my number four is The Company Men. From 2010 with uh, Ben Affleck and uh, Chris Cooper. Have you guys seen this? Mm-hmm. It, it's really, it's a great film with, uh, yeah. oh. I thought what, it was a good film. Oh, Kevin Costner is great in this movie. And it's about a, a company that lays off all of its employees, this shipbuilding company. And all these employees that basically are scattered to the wind and they're trying to find work in this, uh, you know, modern day recession. And, and they, they just have no more work. And. Uh, ben Affleck has to go work with, I think, his father-in-law building houses, and he's not good at it. And how do these people um, acclimate into a society that really just doesn't have a place for them anymore uh, once their job has been taken away from them and, and the corporation has just kind of fucked them over? And uh, how do they come back? How do they, how do they make a name for themselves as men? It's interesting. It's a good, good film. Great pick. Yeah. Hmm. Terrell? Number three now? Number three. My number three is um, Glenn Glary Gunn Ross. Mm. Yeah, oh. the Mitch and Murray. You never meet Mitch and Murray, but their presence looms very, very large in that office. And I always picture them having, you know, bald cats and <laughs> you know, drinking martinis and right. just being these evil corporate overlords. But they are referenced heavily in that movie. And God, I would never want to work in that office. It's... Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah. coffees yeah. for closers only. Coffees for closers. Mm. Second place is a set of Jack Lemon. <laughs> Remember Jack Lemon on the phone? He's so great. Phone, Matt, he's great in the rain. Jack, in the rain, uh, yeah. phone booth with the water dripping. Man, uh, my number three. My number three. We're gonna have some overlapping here, Christina. Right, We're overlapping. Okay. You ready? My number three is Doctor Evil yeah. in the Austin Powers trilogy. Yeah, there were it. three: International Man of Mystery, The Spy Who Shagged Me, and Goldmember. Those were the three, and of course, Mike Myers played. Both parts, uh, including Doctor Evil, what with his pinky up in the air, remember that? With oh, it, yes. and the cat. I think he was petting the cat, making fun of. Okay, that's my number three. Christina, what's your number? I just three? had to do a substitution because I was just reminded of Trading Places. Yeah, uh, from '83, and I the the, the what is it the wind? Uh, what were the name of the brothers? 
I can't remember. The evil, but it, the yeah. evil older brothers who yeah. basically ruined lives for a bet of a dollar. Mortimer. Yeah. Yes. That's real good. Yes. Trading. That got it. I got to put it in. The yeah. Dukes. The Dukes. The yeah. Dukes. The Dukes. So now, which one is being bumped? That's what. Well, right, because right, you guys right, are gonna right, give me okay. a hard time about that anyway. Mm. Oh. No, can no I can I say what I was what got bumped? Yeah, what do you yeah, got? Tell us. I, I I put in a, a Christmas Carol because, but it's not yeah. exactly corporate. But there really weren't any corporate interests at that time per se. So I I kind of had to because it was a classic. But I like Trading Places better. My number three is a movie from 1987 starring a uh, really bad corporation, RoboCop. Oh yeah! Oh, Kevin predicted you were going to put in Robocop. Oh, yeah. I, as a matter of fact, I love that. Kevin film. was pretty right yeah. on your Kevin, money. Kevin's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Now my top two. I'm going to be, be impressed if Kevin can predict well, my top we'll two. We'll find out. Yeah. Oh, man, nice yeah. choice. Ed two hundred nine. Nice choice, all Robert. That stuff. Yeah. All right. What do you got, Terrell? What's your number two? Well, we're in overlap territory, but yeah. I think I have an audible here. Um, my number two is Wall Street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About, just, I mean, the Michael Douglas greed speech alone is just like... Just Classic. Insane. That's everything you want to know about capitalists going awry. But um, another one that I was on the fence about, which I love, is uh, Blade Runner. The Tyrell Corporation. Yeah. The overlords that actually Absolutely. produced the, mm. uh, the replicants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a haunting movie. Yeah. Mm. So you have two number twos. I have two number twos. All right. I'm going to have eight number twos. <laughs> this, is, this is, nobody can complain no, really, because gonna, Robert usually gonna, has like three right. number twos or something. Yeah, just but that's in the bathroom after the show. No. I just have like three number no. twos. No. I'm, keeping my number, I'm keeping my number one no matter what. Um. Yeah, well, there you go. Ira, what's your number two? My number two is um, the Joker in the Dark Knight. 2008 oh, yeah. okay. he was terrorizing Gotham and and plunging it into anarchy mm. but was it for business but wasn't interests? the Joker kind of a nihilist rather than a yeah it wasn't really for business interests alright I'll cross that one off then. no seriously that you, that's corporate no alright I know what I can do then scratch that everyone because <laughs> I have two number ones <laughs> so I'm going to move my, one, my number ones to number two you're not buying the Joker, are you? No. There's a lot of quiet in the room. Cricket, cricket, cricket. All right, all right. In that case, you guys, I'm going to go with... Um, I'm going to go with You Only Live Twice, Blofeld, Donald Pleasant, Spectra. That's a good one. 1967, the James Bond movie. You can mm-hmm. always turn to oh. Bond for Evil yeah, Genius. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So I'm going to move that to my number two position. Any problems with that one, huh? Yeah. yeah. We'll go with that. Christina, what's your number two? Uh, sort of... Um, <laughs> Book ending Blade Runner 2049 mm. was my pick no. for number two. I, was not, I thought about that one as well. That was a really... Uh, Jared, thought, Jared thought, Leto did a great job. Honestly, I thought that this... I love the original, and I really thought that um, 49 was was so haunting as well in like a completely different way. Yeah. yeah. And I thought... And the cinematography and the production design was just... I thought it was gorgeous. You didn't like it so much, Ira, did you? You thought it was okay, I think. I thought it was long. Did yeah, you see that's it? Right. remember. That's remember, right. and I was saying that any movie that goes that long. Then producer Joey had that list of other films that were two and a half hours long. Yeah, that's right. But I thought it was gorgeous cinematography. It won. He yeah. actually, that British cinematographer, won the Oscar. Yeah. Roger Deakins. For that. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, Roger won that. Uh, I just thought it was long. You know. Okay. Uh, my number two is yet another spiritual cousin of the film we reviewed today. Sorry to bother you. From 1985, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Oh, oh Brazil, that's yes. real good, Robert. And yeah, uh, just good. the entire corporation yeah, from Brazil that's is. A good one. A, I thought of that. Oh my gosh, that's uh, evil corporate overlords. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great one. 
Terrell, what do you got? My number one, and I'm not changing it, even though it's been mentioned already, is um, Trading Places. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, Trading Places is a great, great movie. Such a great movie. movie has so much to say. I agree 100%. And and it's in the heart of, you know, 80s capitalism gone awry. And I remember seeing um, Coming to America years later and... You know, the Duke brothers have a cameo in that. Yes. And they're, you know, they're down on their luck. They're down and, you know, they're into, they're bums, basically. And I remember being somewhat disappointed when Eddie Murphy's character gives him a bag of money. Right. And one of the Duke brothers goes to the other Duke brothers. He's like, we're back in business, Mortimer. You know? Yes, I remember I that like, well. No! <laughs> I, you know, the most, the one, that one of the images that stuck the most is when um, Dan Aykroyd stuffs the salmon in his yeah. in his Santa costume, yeah. there was something so disgusting about that. He takes a bite of it. Yes, and he gets catches part of his dirty beard. It is so gross. Is there was something yeah. about that. The salmon, the beard. It was vile and fascinating. That movie has a lot to say. It does. It really does. A hundred percent. Ira, what's your number one? My number one is is probably too similar to my new number two. And I, I did go with 1964's other James Bond movie, Goldfinger, uh, with um, the actor Gert, Gert Frobe, the German actor, and he was um, Goldfinger. He was Goldfinger, and of course, wanting to contaminate Fort Knox and everything. Oh, so your number yes. one is a Goldfinger? Robert. What? Robert. <laughs> Robert. So even though that's very similar, because all the villains in the James Bond movies, there's something special about Donald Pleasance. He was just terrific as Blofeld, but I'm going to move um, Goldfinger as my number one because of... Again, when I saw it with my dad at the Pantages Theater, when it used to be a movie theater, mm. before it became a live theater. How about mm. that? And uh, just remember seeing it with my pop and everything, so I'm putting it down as my number one choice. Nice. <clears throat> Christina, what's your number one? Chinatown. Chinatown. Nice. Wow. Yeah. No across evil corporate interests yeah. and yeah. evil. Yeah. Personally evil. Yeah. Oh, that's real good. Nice. That's at, real good. At the pinnacle of evilness for me, definitely Chinatown. That's yeah. Great. Uh, my number one is a film from 1996. As soon as we started uh, texting about this as our top five, I immediately thought of this film, and I knew no one was going to bring this up, but I'm so happy to put this on my top five. <laughs> 1996's Kids in the Hall Brain Candy, which is a mm. film about, um, I don't know if you've seen any of the Kids in the Hall sketches, but they yeah. play all these characters, but it's about a corporation that invents a new drug that makes everyone happy and they start they rush it to production and it winds up making everyone happy everybody takes it it's this like happy pill but then there's all these side effects because they rushed it out to production too quickly oh, nice. and there's of course the big boss who uh is Mark McKinney who who basically he made this character a um uh, a version of uh, Lauren Michaels from Saturday Night Live mm. and basically mimicked him the entire time and, and everyone is totally terrified of him and uh, they like have to figure out what color socks he's wearing that day and then change the room all around to make sure that it's reflective of that color because it's everyone's so scared of the way that he walks in. Great evil boss and totally evil corporate overlord. <laughs> uh, so if you ever get a chance to check out any of the Kids in the Hall stuff, but especially Brain Candy is a really great film and if you've loved any of their stuff, if you're a product of the 90s, then I think that fits. Um, I have a couple extras that I don't think would have mentioned but you mentioned a couple things Terrell that reminded me of of a couple of films Uh, we were talking earlier about awful jobs it was a job that I worked on um, I was the second 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 on a film with John Voight a number of years ago and um, it was an awful awful production I think it got shot down halfway through because they were violating all these uh, union problems and they were shooting without unions anyway um, 
when the whole film ended, I was so depressed and I, I was like, I'm, I'm going to quit the industry. I don't want to be involved in this anymore. It was so awful. It was one of those kind of deep like moments. My mom was like, before you quit, maybe you should just go on a vacation somewhere. And she helped me spring for these tickets to go to Australia. And I went to Australia and while I was there, they just happened to be having the Brisbane International Film Festival. And I went, it's a sign. Let me go check out Brisbane's uh, International Film Festival. And while I was there, I saw a couple of films. I saw Cypher, which is a really great hmm. um, uh, corporate espionage film. Mm-hmm. But there is one film that has stuck with me called Demon Lover. And I wish I thought of it earlier, but it's about these two corporations that are trying to uh, corner the market for Japanese manga. And it turns out that there is a... Uh, it's called the Hellfire Club, which is like a secret snuff kind of um, uh, underground video that people are are watching. And you can basically kill off people if you pay enough money. And you can just say, hey, I want this person dead. And you can watch them murder these people. And there's like kids that are you know using their parents' internet to hack in and, and watch these awful videos. And, um, and the corporations are doing that in order to get more money and kind of corner mm. the entertainment market. It's sure. really a fucked up film. Mm. And... Uh, Demon Lover has stuck with me for a long time. Mm. That's another one you should watch, Ira. That'll ring your bell. Tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any other extras? Any other bad, evil corporate? I don't have any. No? Have no other extras? Man, I figured we'd have like 40 of these. Oh. Uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Producer Joey. Yeah. Who's, who's no, the... Yeah, definitely. Skynet. Skynet. Yeah, Skynet, yeah. definitely. Skynet. But is that, a, is that a person, though? It just seems like that's the, the, the computer itself that took over. Yeah. Hey, guess what? We did it. Woo! All right, nice. You have something else you want to no, say? No, I, yeah, I was trying to figure out a way to get the man who fell to earth to plug that in and make nah. that work, but I, I, it wasn't quite a fit. No, so I. No, nah, that was yeah. just the man. Well, but you know what I mean? Because yeah. you did have that. There was that element yeah. of, of, but it didn't work. Never mind. Glad I didn't include that one. I would have got shot down for that one as well. <laughs> hey, Terrell, <laughs> thanks for coming in, man. It was thanks so nice having, having you. Guys. Yeah. yeah. Terrell Gibson, ladies and gentlemen, the editor of. Sorry to bother you. Uh, so I uh, want to thank you for coming in. Thanks also, for me, I want to let you know if you have any suggestions for us for evil corporate overlord people, then you can send us an email to robert at antiwavepodcast.com or... And slash or ira at antiwavepodcast.com or shockingly christina at antiwavepodcast.com. Or you can send us a message through Twitter or Instagram, which is at antiwavepod. We're all over the place, aren't we? We are. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. Or check us out at our website. Yeah. Or I'll give you another website people can check out, 30lovefilm.com. They can go to that website and buy our DVD. Yeah, Yeah, about that. And if they do, they can plug in Antiwave and get 10% off of any of those uh, DVDs or Blu-ray discs, which got all sorts of extra features uh, on the film. Or they can check it out on uh, Amazon. It's streaming there. It's also on iTunes. They can find it out in all those regular places. Hey, I want to thank producer Joey for doing a great job. Yeah. Thanks so much. And uh, hey, that just about does it, doesn't it? Well, can, where can people find you? Can be, where can people follow you or anything like that? I'm not on social media. I'm a dinosaur. I'm a, I'm Fuck a those people. Of, they don't need to follow you. I'm a child you. of the 90s. You, you got to be in the know. Yeah. Just go out and see Sorry to Bother You yeah. in theaters now. And if you guys are in for a, um, an experience, go a unique experience, go see it because yeah. it really does play well in theaters. All right. Yep. So until next time. Keep watching movies. And we'll help you sort them out. So your number one is a gold finger?